Welcome to Sulphur Springs Baptist Church Sermon Audio. For more information, please visit our website at sulphurspringsbc.com. I appreciate the, uh, the songs this morning, and I appreciate the message of them. And uh, that, is our, that is our message this morning, that uh, there is, He is the only one who can to exalt Jesus Christ, magnify Him, lift Him up, and... Uh, worship him today and I'm thankful uh, that he alone is worthy of that praise and adoration of our hearts and um, he is uh, there's not enough words to describe him some powerful lines in that song to describe who he is and some of the the things that he has done that we read about in his word and uh, things that can just just leave your heart in awe and uh, I'm thankful for for that this morning and uh, for what we do understand about Jesus Christ and how wonderful and lovely He is. And uh, I pray this morning that through our study in His Word, we'll come to know Him better and uh, see Him as and He'll become even more loved and um, even more appreciated within our heart than uh, He already is this morning. So if you will, we'll find our place today in Galatians chapter number 4 and uh, continue our study here, Galatians chapter number 4. And I'm excited to study these verses with you this morning. Uh, these verses, the Lord has caused them to come alive in my heart as, and has made them real to me. And some things in these verses that especially challenge me as, as a pastor and um, things that I think will certainly speak to your life as well. And uh, so I'm excited about our, our uh, studying here this morning. And as you find your place, I'll ask you to stand in Galatians Chapter number four, I want to begin reading verse number eight, which is where we left off last week, and we will read through verse number 20. The Bible says, How be it then, when ye knew not God, ye did service unto them which by nature are no gods. But now, after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? Ye observe days and months and times and years. I am afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. Brethren, I beseech you, be as I am, for I am as ye are. Ye have not injured me at all. Ye know how through infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at the first. And my temptation which was in my flesh ye despised not, nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus, who is then the blessedness Excuse me, where is then the blessedness ye spake of? For I bear you record that if it had been possible, ye would have plucked out your own eyes and have given them to me. Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? They zealously affect you, but not well. Yeah, they would exclude you that ye might affect them. But it is good to be zealously affected, always in a good thing, and not only when I am present with you. My little children, of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice, for I stand in doubt of you. Let's pray together. Father, uh, Lord, we come before you with joy in our heart this morning, and God, we thank you for that. Lord, outside of you, we cannot have true joy, and uh, Lord, we cannot have lasting and steadfast joy. God, without you, just we, our emotions and our and our. Uh, our feelings, God, would just come and go with the uh, whatever is taking place in our life. But Father, in You we can find assurance. In You we can find comfort. And uh, Lord, we're grateful for that today. Lord, I thank You for these verses. I thank You for how they have 
challenged my life, and I pray today as we study them together as a congregation that you would uh, bring them to life in the hearts of your people. God, make the preaching of your word this morning effective. Lord, that's, uh, there's a task at hand here today, God, that I am unable to, to fulfill. God, I cannot change anyone's life. Lord, I cannot cause Christ to be formed in anyone. But Lord, the power of God at work certainly can. And Lord, I pray for everyone in here that this very thing that's mentioned in these verses, that Christ would be more formed in us, Lord, from our study together today, from this time of worship, Lord, than when we walked in today. And uh, Father, I pray that you'd help our attention to be set upon you. God, give us a hunger for the truth. And Lord, help me to preach it and to preach it clearly this morning and in a way that honors you and honors your word. Father, I love you today. I thank you for loving me. And then we pray all these things in the name that's above every name. Amen. Thank you for standing. You know, after the, the emotions calm down in an argument, oftentimes the more compassionate and concerned side comes out of two people. I know this is my experience in arguments, and uh, a lot of times I mean like sibling arguments or uh, other people that you care about, certain things, you spend enough time with people, you begin to argue and bicker and Especially going up with brothers, you, you have those times of arguing and going back and forth. And sometimes you're not so nice to each other. Sometimes you may say things that you regret, and I'm sure that you can relate to the same. But often, at least in my experience, I've found that if you will step away from that argument or step away from that time of intensity where the emotions are high, maybe something took place that aggravated you and, and that anger is just very real and very prevalent. If you'll step away from that argument, step away from that scene, and everybody cools down, everybody kind of processes their thoughts and works through the things that maybe upset them, you can come together and have a much more productive and meaningful conversation as you work through whatever it was that caused an issue. That's what I have found to be true. You know, you've seen maybe in films, if you've not been in that position where you've argued with someone, where you begin arguing with someone in the intensity of a moment, a lot of times you're just, you're, you, you don't get anywhere, you refuse to listen to anything that the other person says, and those, those times are very improductive and not going to get you anywhere at all. Well, we can almost see that, that process happening here, where as Paul began writing, and of course Paul's words are very productive, Paul's words are, are still true, and Paul's words are very accurate, but we witnessed in the beginning of Galatians, Paul was pretty severe with these believers uh, Paul, we have witnessed his intensity. We know Paul's heart for them to believe and anchor themselves in the true gospel. And he asked them in the beginning of this letter how they could so quickly, how they could so quickly move to another gospel. He marveled at the fact that they could embrace such a perverted gospel as what they had started to with these false teachers that had come in. Paul was pretty harsh with them. And if you remember in the opening, Paul, unlike most of his letters, did not have any kind of uh, positive message for these believers. He gets right into the issue in which he was writing. But it's, as we read these verses, there's almost a shift and almost a change in Paul's demeanor. Now we see more of the compassion of Paul. We see the true, genuine care and heart that Paul has for these believers. Paul had experienced changes that took place in this group of believers in this region and they're not good changes that he's experienced. And now Paul, after kind of, of being more harsh with them, he is now more compassionately saying, I'm worried about you. And certainly you maybe have been in a position today where somebody in your life, maybe a child, maybe even a husband or your wife, 
things have gone on in their life, or maybe just a close friend, somebody you've really cared about, they've went through some things, or you began to see changes in their life, and you've gone to them with the most genuine, heartfelt concern and said this phrase to them, I'm worried about you. As a parent, you've likely said this to your child, and maybe what's going on in their life isn't significant in the grand scheme of things, but to them it's significant, something that's caused you to worry about them because of the way they're acting or the way they're responding to something. And that's what really what Paul was saying in, here in these verses. And you can almost hear as we read these verses, I was amazed at the shift in his tone. You can almost hear the love and the care in his voice as he writes this part of chapter number 4. And I recognize that the Bible says that we're to be anxious over nothing, but I want you to know today that there are some things that you and I as believers, as followers of Christ, should be worried about. And when I say that, what I mean is there are things in our life that we need to give serious consideration to. There are, you know, some things in life that come and you say, well, I'll just not worry about that, or maybe I'll cross that bridge when I get to it, kind of pass, passively brush something off. Well, these couple of areas that we think about in the, through the passage of Scripture are not areas like that where you can just say, well, We'll hope everything goes all right. These are areas where you need to give serious consideration to because just like Paul was driven to say, because of these areas, I'm worried about you. These are areas in your life that you need to be worried about in the sense that you consider them. You evaluate these areas in your life as well this morning. We want to make sure that these two areas are where they need to be in our life. And as the Galatians are learning, it's easy to get them it's easy to get them wrong. So what are these two aspects that I'm referring to in the passage of Scripture today that you need to consider in your own life? First of all, I would say your spiritual direction. Paul says, How be it then, when you knew not God, you did service unto them which by nature are no gods? So then he goes into a question, verse number 9. But now, after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, Whereunto you desire again to be in bondage. And Paul goes back to the time before they knew Jesus Christ and before that they had been converted. He says, you did service, you worshipped, or you, you were devoted to those which by nature are no gods. These individuals as Gentiles would have served idols, would have worshipped in, in all kinds of paganism and idolatry. And that was their life. He says, but now. And I love that, that phrase and the change in which it signifies that before that they did worship or they served or they were devoted to these things that were not truly gods, that they were idols that they had set up and began to worship. And now Paul says, but now after that ye have known God. And then he specifies, he says, rather, he says that you are known of God. And so here's his question, and here's why I say you must consider your spiritual direction. He says, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? Paul is reminding them of the change of this taking place. You remember he's been talking about the weak and beggarly elements of the world, the things that they used to be involved in, the life that they used to live, but now they know, or rather the true God knows them. So he says, why do you turn again? Why would you go from what's better? Why would you go from what's stronger? And why would you go from what's more significant and turn back to 
the weak and the beggarly elements that you knew before. To understand this, I think we need to go back to the, the illustration that's given in the opening of chapter number 4 where Paul explains that the, the, the picture of a son and his inheritance. So if you think about it as it was given, the explanation that's given, a son before he reaches age, his father has an inheritance for him, but that son has no right to that inheritance and the son does not have any, I mean that, the value of that inheritance is not the son's as of yet. But then once the son reaches age, the father gives the inheritance over to him. So what the Galatians are doing, though, is it's like the father has given them their inheritance. They have reached that age now that they have Christ Jesus and have been delivered from the weak and the beggarly elements. But now it's like they're saying, we don't, we, Father, we, here's your inheritance back. We no longer want it. That's, in essence, what the Galatians the believers were doing that. And the question is, why, why would they do that? Why would they want to go backwards? And the question for you to address today, the question that's worth me addressing today is, are we moving forward in our spiritual life or are we moving backwards? The Galatians had served pagans. They were at idol worship. They were involved in all that. Paul came into the area, preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. They put their faith in, him, in Jesus. They believed the gospel, and they were saved. But then after Paul left, these false teachers came in, and so then they left the true gospel and went back to the weak and the beggarly elements, that those things that Christ had delivered them from. They were moving backwards. And I'm afraid oftentimes that we as Christians are guilty of doing the same things. We turn to things that are not near as wonderful as Jesus Christ looking for hope and meaning. The question that you have to evaluate today is as you think about your spiritual direction, or is are you drawing closer to Christ? Are you constantly moving more towards Him? Are you, is your heart becoming more wrapped up in Him or are you going in a different direction? Maybe you look at your life today and there was a time where you were, you were closer to Christ than you are as you sit here in this congregation in this service today. Well, that's not something to dismiss in your life. That's not something to just say, well, you know, it's, it is what it is. That's, that your spiritual direction is much more important and much more significant than that. And I can promise you, if there was a time when you're closer in life, whatever you have, whatever has turned you away from Him, we could also describe as weak and beggarly. It's not as significant as Christ, it's not as valuable as Christ, and it's not as, for lack of a better term, good as Christ. Nothing that we put in our life that ends up going above Him and its significance in our life is in its rightful place. He says, why would you desire again to be in bondage? Why would you go backwards rather than forward? The evidence of the fact that they had turned from Jesus, the evidence of the fact that they were not moving in the right direction is in verse number 10. He says, you observe days and months and times and years and part of their, and part of their legalism coming out of them and part of their turning back to the law, these, these Gentiles had started observing the calendar days and some of the specific things that the Jews had to observe based on the law. And so Paul says, I'm afraid of you. Now Paul's not meaning I'm concerned with you 
you harming me. Paul's not meaning that. And you're, if you use a different version, maybe worded differently. But what Paul is saying is, and where the King James says, I'm afraid of you, Paul is saying, I'm worried about you. He says, I am afraid lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. The word vain just speaks of being, of being pointless, of being to no effect. He's starting to wonder if he's failed in his goal which, and his desire, which was to see these believers in Galatia in fellowship with Christ and trusting him. And at the end of the day, if these individuals had turned back to what he is describing as the weak and beggarly elements and no more were resting in Christ and no more growing in Christ, then, then his labor there had been in vain. He had not accomplished what Christ had sent him there to do. So you have to think about today your spiritual direction. But also, you need to think about this morning your spiritual influences. The people who you allow to spiritually have a leadership role in your life. Paul says in verse number 12, Brethren, I beseech you, be as I am, for I am as ye are. Ye have not injured me at all. Paul is saying, my friends, I, I'm begging you, be as I am. Paul is saying, be as I am in that Paul was a Jew, but now through Christ he had been delivered through having to keep those aspects of the law and thinking that he could attain righteousness through that. He no longer lived as far as trying to keep the law to the dot and to the T for his righteousness. And he says, so be like me because I am as you are. These he is a Jew who is now able to live and do in freedom because of Christ. These were Gentiles who were now trying to go back to the law. And he's saying, you live as I live, free from the law because I'm living in that way as well. He says, you have not injured me at all. You've not done me wrong. You have not, you have not done me unjustly. He goes back to when he went first there to preach the gospel and he says, you know how through infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at the first. He says, my temptation, which according to verse number 15, it sounds like it could be something with his eyesight. He says, which was in my flesh, ye despised not, nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Now, if I got in front of you and began to preach the gospel and it looked like I had been ran over by a truck this week, Meaning I looked injured, I was hobbled around, I looked weak, and I looked frail. You know, sometimes that can make the reception of my message, that can hinder the reception of my message, or anybody's message. So in other words, if Paul came to these believers and, and he, he can't see, and commentators go back and forth, that's not for certain what he's battling with, but some kind of physical ailment that was noticeable, that was something they could... They could physically see he was struggling with. It would have been easy for them to say, who is this and why has he come to us with this message? But that's not what happened. Even though Paul was battling with this, this struggle, whatever it may have been, these, it, these individuals in Galatia received him as they would an angel or even Jesus Christ himself. If Jesus Christ would have came himself to these believers in Galatia and preached the gospel, they would not have received him any differently than they received Paul. They loved Paul, and they, they welcomed him in. They received his message, and they believed in it fully and completely. So now Paul's question is, as you can see what the, the, these false teachers had come in, and they had caused these believers to turn against Paul. 
So Paul says, where's then the blessedness you spoke of? Why, what, what changed? Why all of a sudden when you would receive me the same way you would have received Christ, now you are, you're just ignoring me. You're not paying attention to what I'm telling you. And he says, what, what happened? He says, because I bear you record that if it had been possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and have given them to me. That explains to us how much these believers love Paul. That if they could have, they would have, and it could be a figure of, it could be an expression, it could be that Paul had a literal issue with his eyes, but Paul is saying, you love me so much that if, it, if you could have, you would have taken out, you would have gouged out your own eyes and given them to me if it had been of comfort to me and it would have been physically possible for you to do so. That's how much you love me. But now you are counting me, he says, as your enemy. In verse number 16, and he has a powerful question. What a question it is. He says, am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Any person, listen, any person who tells you the truth is not your enemy. For someone to tell you the truth, it may not always be what you want to hear. It may be things that convict your life. It may be things that you are, that for, for our terminology, they call you out on. And of course, there's a wrong way to call anybody out on anything. But there is those people who, like Paul, Paul loved these believers. Cared for these believers so much so that it was like he was having the pains of childbirth and trying to care for them and trying to see them grow and mature in Christ. So Paul was not telling them the truth to try to just have a prideful, arrogant hold over their life. And to point out all the errors, Paul loved them. And it's easy for our heart to turn against those that tell us the truth. As the Life Application Study Bible says, human nature hasn't changed much. We still get angry when we're criticized. But don't disregard someone who challenges you. That person may be speaking truth that you need to hear. Receive his or her words with humility and carefully think them over. Receiving criticism is one of the hardest things I think human beings do. Nobody likes to be told that there's a better way to do things or that there's something you're doing that's wrong. Because the first thing that pops into my head or anybody's head is, no, my way's right. The first thing we do when we hear criticism is buck up against it and we want to defend ourselves and we want to explain ourselves away and try to justify the fact that what I do and the way I do it is right. And if we're not careful, a much deeper thing can take place to where we begin to disregard those who God has put in our life to tell us the truth. And of course, this struck my heart in that I'm reminded of my purpose. And it's to tell you the truth. I read some definitions of that word truth and they are profound in my opinion. The one definition I read said they include these definitions of the word truth are speaking reality into a person's life. Making a record of what God deems as truth, reality and facts. And my favorite is this. Telling the truth so that others can live in God's reality rather than personal illusion. 
That's why we come together as a congregation. That's why we have a time of preaching. It's for me to tell you the truth. And sometimes there may be times where I may step on your toes, for lack of better terminology, as your pastor. But I ask you in those times to remember this verse. Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Out of love for you and out of dedication to what God has called me to do, I must tell the truth as God has revealed it. And if I'm ever not doing that, if I'm ever not preaching you the truth, then you as a church, you as an individual, you as fathers and mothers, you need to address that. You should expect to hear the truth from me. You should refuse to hear my opinions and my good stories about the funny things that happened to me if that's all that the content of my preaching is. You should expect and demand the truth from me or anybody that stands in this pulpit. And again, truth is not my view of the world. Truth is not the way I see things. Truth is God's reality in our life. But here's the problem. The false teachers had influenced the believers in Galatia. They had caused the believers to start believing them, the the false teachers, instead of Paul. They had very negatively influenced the believers. But these, these individuals were not genuine. These individuals did not truly care for the people in Galatia. He says in verse 17, they zealously affect you. Meaning they, they, they influenced you. But not well, not in a good way. In fact, he says that they would exclude you that ye might affect them. What, what Paul is saying from studying those, those words in that verse is he's saying those false teachers are influencing you. And those, the, the goal and the aim of those false teachers is they're trying to build their own following. They're trying to just simply build up their own popularity and to build up their own status. That's the purpose of those false teachers. They want to influence you so that you will follow them. They really just wanted their own followers. They were not seeking to build these believers up in Christ. They just wanted to build their own popularity. They were not genuine servants of God. And in that, we have a warning. Be careful this morning of those you allow to have an influence over your life. Make sure they are leading you to follow Christ and not themselves or anything else. As Paul says in verse number 18, it's good to be zealously affected. It's good to be influenced, but he says always in a good thing. Now in verse number 19, if I could wrap up My ministry, my my heart in one verse, it would be verse number 19. The most genuine, a pastor that is worth the title, verse number 19 will be his heart. Verse number 19, in, in verse number 19, you see the most genuine heart that a pastor should and must have. A pastor is not seeking to serve in that role to uh, build a 
large following. The pastor is not serving in that role just so people will talk about how good of a person he is. A true pastor, a, pa- a true pastor's heart is verse number 19. And again, here's some of that endearment, some of that love we see in Paul. He says, my little children. I found it interesting in studying that, that this is the only time Paul uses that phrase. And in this letter where we've seen some of the... Uh, We'll say uglier side of Paul where he's pretty intense with these believers. But this is the only time he uses that word, my little children. Again, we see his love for them. He's not, he's not getting on to them because he just wants to point out all the error in their life. He loves them with all of his heart and he wants to see them living and growing in the truth. He says, my little children. Again, we see his burden. He says, of whom I travail in birth again. He says, the pain I have for you and the, the, the genuine desire I have for you, he's, he's comparing it And I'm sure all you women are thinking, well, clearly he's never given birth to a child. But he is thinking that in his mind. That's that's, He's trying to get across the intensity of his heart for these believers in Galatia. And here's the heart of a pastor. Until Christ be formed in you. That's the the one singular goal of a true pastor, is that Christ be formed in you. True pastor's main focus is not to become a prominent figure in the world. It's not to build a big salary. A pastor worth having has this one overall goal, and that's to see Christ formed in you, to see you start to reflect Jesus Christ. And that word formed, if you study it and look, look into it, it's, of course, speaking of a, of a transforma- transformation that occurs from the inside out. Of course, I've mentioned these verses being so, so real and, and so prevalent to me. And verse number 19 is probably the main reason why. That my heart for this church and my desire for this church and my desire as your pastor is to see Christ formed in you. And that's what any... That's what you should look for in any true pastor. Someone who will tell you the truth so that Christ can be formed in you. Again, to see the love of Paul, the care for Paul that he has for these believers. He says in verse number 20, I desire to be present with you. He says, I want to be with you and to change my voice. He says, I want to change my tone. He says, but I stand in... For I stand in doubt of you. It's like, you know, we say, I just, I just don't know what to do with you. It's kind of what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, I, I just, I'm not sure how to handle the situation. I'm not sure how to help you get back to where you need to be. As John MacArthur explained it, that phrase just means he, he's kind of at his wits end. He don't know what else to do. But in these verses, again, we're reminded that Paul has seen and noticed a lot of changes in the believers at Galatia. They had chosen to follow Christ, but now they had turned back, back to the things that are defined in these verses as weak and beggarly. They used to be very receptive towards Paul and loving towards Paul. They would have gave him their own eyes if it would have helped him and it would have been possible for them to do so. But now they're acting like he is an enemy. They're rejecting his message. And these false teachers have gained an influence and a hold over these believers. Because of these, Paul, these changes, Paul is saying, I'm worried about you. 
So my urging for you this morning is if you've noticed a turning away in your life, if you've noticed that there's a change. So you think about in verse number 9, these believers could think back to a time when they were more devoted to Christ than they were when Paul asked this question, how turn ye again? So my question for you this morning is how turn ye again? Evaluate your life. See if you are moving closer to Christ, ever drawing closer to Him, or if something has happened and now you're going in a different direction. You know you're not as close to Him today as you have been in times in the past. Or if you've noticed today that there's certain people who have an influence over your life that shouldn't have that much of an influence over you, then that's something to be concerned about. That's something to address. I just ask you this morning to evaluate your own spiritual direction and the people who have a spiritual influence over you. Are those things something to be worried about or something to persist in? As we stand together and Mark will come around and uh, prepare to lead us in a song of invitation and you can stand with me this morning. Thank you for listening. Please remember to drop a rating and subscribe to get our latest audio.